Forward, in search of Kathleen Collins. I first heard of Kathleen Collins when I was in graduate school in the mid-1980s. I was studying English with a focus on African-American and Caribbean literature. The black cultural feminism I encountered in books, fellow students, and an ever-expanding elsewhere of writers and intellectuals was teaching me how to think. The study of the ideas of black women also taught me that we would not, should not, find all we needed in the classroom. We needed to be autodidacts. We needed to pass books from hand to hand. We needed to search and thus be inspired by hard-won effort to create ourselves. We needed to understand that there is power in searching and finding and not having things handed to us. We would follow June Jordan's declaration in Poem for South African Women. We are the ones we have been waiting for. The black women's voices that were front and center for us in the 1980s came mostly in the forms of poetry and the novel. The year 1970 had been a watershed year for black women's literature, as it heralded first book publications by the likes of Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, and Tony Cade Bambara. Gwendolyn Brooks, Sonia Sanchez, and Lucille Clifton shone brightening lights and Rita Dove was a comet on the rise. The criticism of Polymath's Audre Lorde and June Jordan and Shirley Ann Williams, poet critics all, provided theoretical guidance. And scholars such as Deborah McDowell, Valerie Smith, Barbara Smith, Barbara Christian, Sylvia Winter, Thaddeus Davis, Eleanor Trailer, Cheryl Wall, and Horton Spillers, among others, were teaching us how to make sense of this moment we were in and vision the unwritten future. In school, I was acutely aware of who was and wasn't teaching me, learning to read silence and omission. Black feminist studies taught me that. Our oral and written exams did not include work being made in the burgeoning moment, but one of the many tectonic, plate-shifting excitements of the time was the understanding that the contemporary was something that we could include in our work. That was the written word. Just as exciting was the black cinema boom, the second wave that Spike Lee marked to widening audiences, and that included Julie Dash, Haile Garima, Billy Woodbury, Charles Burnett, and so many others. That was the context in which I first heard of Kathleen Collins and her legendary film, Losing Ground. How I longed to see Losing Ground, a film made by a black woman whose subject was, what? A black woman philosophy professor? With a painter husband? whose black intellectual artistic life I was trying to live myself? And oh, these people were funny too. In the 1980s, of course, we couldn't get things streamed online. We couldn't watch films on our laptops. It would be many, many years before I would have the revelatory experience of seeing losing ground and encountering this extraordinary black female protagonist who was dazzlingly familiar to me. She would be living a complex black and Puerto Rican life, a New York life. 
She would have a palpably infinite inner life. She would be shown teaching in the classroom, expounding on actual ideas and encouraging her students, who adored her to do the same. The erotics of thinking would pulse from the screen. Her marital tensions would take place entirely outside the white gaze. Oh, and did I say everyone in the movie would be beautiful? And the quotidian way of black people who are lit from within by the power of living in the free zone of ideas and creativity? Now, reading whatever happened to interracial love is like finding Kathleen Collins' Atlantis once again. It was enough to search for the film, to unearth that legacy, but to also see that she had cast her ideas in the short story form and to encounter with a start her singular, sophisticated black-and-white bohemian.